Hey everyone, happy to have you here for another episode of Legacy Matters. Today, as usual, we will talk about whatever comes up with a slight leaning toward discussions of preserving your legacy, preparing for things to come, and sharing stories we find amusing. All right, Jimsy. All right, Sam, here we are. Welcome to Legacy Matters. Welcome to Legacy Matters. Thanks for tuning in. Yep. Uh, what are we looking at today? Tuesday morning still. It is. Yes. Tuesday, Tuesday morning. Somewhere in the year 2020. 2020. Mid, late January. Here we are. Good to see you, Sam. You look refreshed today. <laughs> Good to see you, too. You know, I, I have uh, not been sleeping all that well lately, mm. and I don't know why. But I just, I keep, it's like some sort of anxious energy or something. Right. I keep waking up. Right. Thinking, I, like, I got to get something done. I know mm. it's because we have a lot going on. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, I think that's what it is. Well, I got sick kids, and I had to take Maddox to the uh, hospital for x-rays this morning. Before, Did you? Before I came in here, yeah. Oh. Yeah, he's uh, hyperextended and then fell on his elbow, and it's been like a week, and he's still saying it really hurts, so that brought sucks. him in. That's yeah. horrible. I doubt. I doubt they'll find anything. You know, it's it, it's a childhood injury, and yeah. pr- probably just heal up. But but they did say there was something slightly abnormal, so they were going to send it over to radiology to see mm. if he's okay. Alien time. <laughs> you know, I don't know for sure. <laughs> Speaking of aliens, Sarah is gone right now. Yes. she's in wine country, so it's just you and I. <laughs> yeah. guest she's in. She is not. In oh, wine that's country. right. She's not. She's, she's in tequila in, country. She's in tequila country. That's, that's different. This that time. is right. I, thank you. Yep. I stand corrected. <laughs> Sarah's in tequila country. Ole. Which, yeah, and. <laughs> I mean, we've seen the text, so that is <laughs> She's the having truth. a great time. <laughs> yep. How come, sure. she, how come we're... Because she was more responsible in her youth, Jim. She yeah. put away a few dollars so she could afford to go on vacations. You and right. I spent it all. Yeah, we did, didn't That's... we? <laughs> okay, well... Plus, plus, she works harder. Yeah, she kind does. Kind of. Kind of. Kind of. I mean, whatever. Whatever. All right, we Sarah. We need to say anyway, that. She's she, not here. Otherwise, she'll stop working. Yes. Uh, <laughs> she is the best. Yes. Let's thank our guests. Thanks for subscribing. Thanks for the comments. We yep. do appreciate it. Um, every month, it seems like we grow and subscribe subscribers. So that's a plus. Yep. You People know. seem to be uh, finding their way to us and understanding that we are uh, a couple of goofballs. Well, three, really. But uh, we really but, do care about our community. We really care about the stories uh, of the people that live here and the land we live on and how we how we move forward really figuring out how to be a better community to each other more yeah. decent more kind uh, mm-hmm. more loving all the time so it, it it's a lot of fun doing this i know i have a i have a great time doing it and you know sometimes it's uh sometimes we have really smart get well everyone's really smart but sometimes we have these you know very highly educated people in who about a third of what they're saying I fully maybe understand and the rest I'm like you got it yeah buckaroo you're really right, smart right, right. <laughs> uh, other times we have people who uh, make you know challenge my thoughts on things um, sometimes we have people who we just laugh and uh, I'm gonna tell you if you're listening today I think we've got kind of a, a mix of a lot of our stuff so <laughs> we do. i really do i i i not fully have i been i'm not nervous about this i just know my emotional self is 
is tied into this story in a way that I, it, my emotions are going to come out whether I like it or not, which is sure. fine. I'm very comfortable with my emotions. But uh, today we have Christine Dean DC uh, McCleave. Sorry, Oof, man. See how I get nervous about oh, saying a name. It. Welcome, Christine. <laughs> I'm just going to say Christine, but yeah, I know how right. to say Dean DC. Ooh, good job, Dean DC. Yeah, um, yeah. And and so if you're listening, we'll we'll get to letting Christine tell her story. But I just want to tell you that this is an important story, and it's one that we're very honored to be able to share. So we'll see where it all goes. Wonderful. Well, thank you for having me. Thanks for coming in. Yeah. Thanks for coming in on Tuesday morning. Did you do the weather? Uh, you know, I just... It's gray. It, you know what? Done. It's, it's gray. Cold. It's January. <laughs> it's going to be the same thing for a while. <laughs> you know, not much is changing. So, um, you know. There you go. Yeah. That sums up That sums up pretty much every Minnesotan's view of most of winter. Yeah. Right. Is you it know. snowing or is it not snowing? That's all we care about. Yeah. Right. It's going to melt a little bit, I think, this week. And there's like a there's like maybe a a few weeks of sort of excitement at the, at the front end where it's like, hey, look at we're getting snow. I can't, you know, I kind of like winter. And then there's like three or four months of, oh shit, this isn't going anywhere. Is <laughs> right. And yeah. then there's and then there's hey, spring's here. That's yeah. That's what I was talking about this morning. Spring. I'm yeah. ready. Same. Yeah. Yeah. You're ready Absolutely. for spring already, oh, both of you? Yeah. 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 For sure. <laughs> already. It's only January, but yes. <laughs> yeah. Were you ready before winter even started? Um no, I think the the first polar vortex we had uh, a couple weeks ago was when I said, Okay, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> Enough yeah. winter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. I mean a couple weeks and I'm done. Yeah, that's all we really need. We, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I like taste. ice fishing. Oh no. Well, yeah. <laughs> no, it's right. I listen, oh, looks on your I face. went out on the lake. I did a little ice fishing, you know. I did. This year? Yeah. Where? On uh Leech Lake. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was good for a couple hours even, yeah. you know, with the kids. Yeah. Yeah, I'm done. That's it. You brought your kids. I have a theory that ice fishing is for people to get away. (laughs) Well, let let me put it this way. Here's, here's, so it's teenage kids and 21 year old, you know, so it's older. But um, they, we all went up there for sort of holiday time and uh, they all went out to the ice house because Mm -hmm. they wanted to get away. Do you have a TV, a heater, a little mini fridge in your ice house? Well, n- no, no, but not far from that. Not far from that. A nice heating thing, and they've all got their phone and the iPads, and they've got tunes. Mm-hmm. They've got like some sort of little speaker that they roll out on. It's on wheels and everything, and then it. Oh, that's has, hardcore. Oh yeah, and it lights up like a disco type of thing in the house. It lights up like a so, disco. Yeah, it does. It like communing with nature. Right. Right. Yeah. Completely. Okay, can I, for those of you uh, not from the upper Midwest or not from Minnesota where where ice fishing is a thing, first of all, yes, the the lakes do freeze over. Yeah. Uh, They freeze over enough that you can drive on them, you drill holes through it, and you you fish for the fish. Oh, yeah. But there are many, there is a very wide spectrum of what ice fishing means to people. And there are people who sit in little mansions out on on the big lakes up north, Mm -hmm. and they do have couches and TVs yeah. and satellite and mm-hmm. some of them have a second story to them. Yeah. Uh, oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then and then you kind of move back from there to like these, you know, relatively modest 
fish houses that you can sleep overnight and then like really crappy shacks out on the ice that you know angry i always think of like well, it's grumpy old men or whatever. You yeah, know, like yeah. angrier old men just sit right. there and like, yeah, the fishing's fine. Right. And then the way I ice fish is is well, then then before that you have uh, portables, mm-hmm. so that, that you pull them out each time and bring them back, and they're really small and they kind of fold over you and you keep they yep. keep you warm. And before that, people did it to survive because they they needed. That's to right. Eat. right. That's right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, like actually, but, but we're even going today, fishing. even today. Uh, then there's people like myself and my father and a bunch of other people who we just go sit on a bucket on the ice and freeze mm-hmm. and fish. And that's more the that's more the people like people would have done. I mean, we could go back, you know, if we're going back 50 years, white folks, that's the way we did it. If you go back further than that, it was subsistence. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So there's a, I mean, there is a long, there's something intriguing about ice fishing, but... It, it doesn't it, make yeah, winter worth it, I would say, I for was, most people. I was in for a few hours, but I know I'm done. I'm <laughs> done. Pass. You're yeah. out. Yeah. No. Yeah. No, right. You. Yeah. So, Christine, <laughs> <laughs> off of this stuff, uh, where did you grow up? I grew up all over the place, actually. Um, so I have to I have to do my traditional protocol greeting, which yeah. is um, to introduce myself in in my native language. So, Dinuwe Magani Duk, Dindizi Inajinakaz, Makinakwaju Indunjiba, Mikizi Indudame. And what I said there was that my name is Dindisi, which means Blue Jay in Ojibwe. I'm from Turtle Mountain Reservation in North Dakota, and that's an Ojibwe reservation. And I am Eagle Clan. I'm also um, the executive director for the National Native American Boarding School Healing Coalition. So um, even though I'm from Turtle Mountain, um, I did not stay there. Uh, We lived in Denver for a little bit. We lived in Portland. We lived in um, a couple different places in South Dakota. And then we settled here in Minneapolis um, when I was in grade school. And I I pretty much grew up here ever since then. I've lived in, uh, well, I was born in Portland. And I've lived in Fort Collins, not Denver. But but, yeah, and then back here. Both beautiful places. I know, yeah. 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 That's cool. I've been to those places. <laughs> but I didn't live in either one. But Fort Collins is really, I mean, I love that Denver, place. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Denver's it's just the whole fantastic. front range. Well, yeah. the front range is pretty yeah. nice. Yeah. It's amazing. So where did you grow up here then in Minnesota? South Minneapolis. Okay. Um, lived all over the place in South Minneapolis. Um, three different places on Oak Grove Street, by the way. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Anybody knows Oak Grove Street? Yeah. It's in Loring Park area. You're right. Yeah, um, like all the apartment buildings on Oak Grove Street. Um, uh, so Loring Park area, um, Phillips, um, Seward, lived in Northeast for a hot second, and um, North Minneapolis also for a little bit. Yep. Mostly South Minneapolis, Uptown, of course, yep. I, you know. Had a, a place with some roommates, stand. yeah. Yeah, that's the only way you could afford it. But right. um, and now I live in St. Paul in Highland Park. Okay, St. Paul, you, Highland Park. You, I know I crossed the river. You I, did, yeah. You it's, did. It's, it's a thing. Hardly across the river, though. That's we we tease our St. Paul folks, but uh, Highland Park is sort of like. It, it, yeah, Minneapolis. I know. It kind of is. It's the cool part of St. Paul. <laughs> it is the cool part of St. Paul. <laughs> so, aside from doing this and our other endeavors, we 
we started with a construction company that, right. that I've had. We forever. design and yes. build houses. Oh my gosh, what a story! <laughs> yeah, it, it's well, it and it it's kind of like uh, even people who have known me forever. I worked at a, a boys' camp. I mentioned this a lot, but I worked at a boys' camp. So I worked with kids for almost twenty years, and I did construction while I was doing that, and then. Jim did design with me and mm-hmm. and actually well, like construction himself. Yeah. And we've been friends for a long time and and people say how did you what how did you go from that to digital technology and we haven't explained really what we do but uh, in essence we used to build physical spaces to house memories and now we build digital spaces to to house wow. memories. So it's it's, it's really it's not really as really actually really think. similar. It is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you're still building rooms. It's just one is physical, one is digital. So yeah. interesting. Yeah. Like yep. It. So we're so in the construction world. This is what I was going to say. We do a lot of work in Highland Park, so we're over there pretty regularly. But I like it. I do too. I think when I um, because I grew up in Minneapolis, you know, went to South High School, and there's just this perception that St. Paul is boring. You know, and that was, of course, my younger self. And now that I'm older and, you know, married with kids, I'm like, yeah, this this is more the speed I want. I want I want that family residential feel. And when I come over here to Minneapolis, I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's so busy. Oh, there's so much traffic, you know, and I'm like, oh, my God, I've turned into my mother. (laughs) That is funny how that works, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, we were just talking too. we were like, so we live over in like South Minneapolis and uh it's like, well, what do we want to do now that the kids are this is, gone? This is yeah. oh, get a condo in downtown. <laughs> That's Live it up, exactly man. right in downtown St. Paul. Yeah, yeah. there's lots of because stuff it's going up over there. Because yeah, Amber so, would move to St. Paul. That's her idea. That's what she's really? talking about. Yeah, she's like St. Paul's where where it's at. Well, yes, Minneapolis is getting older. a little expensive. Well, yeah, it's yeah, housing, it's actually unaffordable for yeah, us. Yeah, gentrification, <laughs> housing. Um, so, yeah, if you want something nice, it's going to be brand new and it's going to be expensive. Right. And if you want the oh, location, yeah. you're going to pay for it. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. it's. I mean, housing costs here are getting crazy, ridiculous. Mm. But not nearly as bad as Denver. No, Denver was out yeah. out of control because sure. I lived in Denver about. Um, a couple years ago when I started up this organization and um, when I was there the population had grown like 12% the prior year right. and um, you know it was where they were about two years into legalized marijuana so that was you know the thought about why so many people were moving there <laughs> but I met so many folks that had moved there from California mm-hmm. and they all said that California was getting too expensive so basically all the folks who were being pushed out of um, places in California were moving to Denver because it was cheaper and somewhat similar climate. And um, that was causing Denver to go through the same thing, the the gentrification, the turning over of old um, residences into new condos and skyrocketing rent prices. Um, and so, you know, it really is about your perspective. It if is. you're going from mm-hmm. California to Denver, you're like, yeah, it's great. If you're going from Minneapolis to Denver, you're like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Right. And almost any other... Uh, Midwestern city, not necessarily upper Midwestern, uh, houses are way cheaper than they are here, too. Like, if you go yeah. down to Kansas City or Oklahoma right. City or, or Tulsa or something, like, they're, they're really inexpensive mm-hmm. because the it's just not as cold there. We have right. a lot more need to make houses more stout here. Yes. Than but the places. cold 
keeps people away. I know. So we're managing this. <laughs> I know. I love it. I love it. Oh we, my gosh. We talk about all the time That's, how like we can't yeah. say how nice yeah. Don't it is say here. how great yeah, Minneapolis is. Yeah, no, it sucks is. here, man. <laughs> right. It kind of does. Just move here. In with us on this. I love it. <laughs> I know. I love but it. But I love it here. I mean, it's I it's cosmopolitan. It's like there's so much art here. There's a lot to do. It's so easy to maneuver. This city is so easy to get around in. But you're talking about Minneapolis, not yeah. St. Paul, obviously. Well, St. Paul, too. Uh, that's the one not St. Paul. St. Paul I think St. Paul is pretty easy. Kind of. Oh, For your God. listeners out of the area, there's <laughs> right. a joke about St. Paul was designed by... Um, Yes. Yeah. Do I want to say it? Yeah, yeah you yeah. do. Okay. Yeah, you do. I don't want to offend anybody. No, don't worry about it. Was, uh, what is it? Drunk Irishman? Yes, yeah. that's yeah, exactly the right. Because streets wind. They don't make sense. In yeah. Minneapolis, they go alphabetical and, and numerical, and it's like a grid. And, yeah. you know, yeah. and St. Paul Anyone, is like, oh, my God. Like, whatever. Are we we drunk? need to get around this. Hill. Right. <laughs> it <laughs> is. It's kind of like, what? We have to go that way to get what? Yeah. Yeah. It is really weird. Yeah. And the streets are a little narrower and the plowing is terrible over there generally. And, yeah. But I do love, I do love the friendly little rivalry between Minneapolis and St. Paul because it, it, we, we've talked about this far too often on here, but you can, uh, you can always count on, on, either side to sort of talk about how bad the other is absolutely (laughs) it's our favorite pastime besides talking about the weather (laughs) so christine did i understand like so this organization right here did you start this when you were in denver um yeah, as soon as I said that, I was like, oh, crap, this is being recorded. And right, right. And, and now <laughs> that, I actually was, was listening entirely, to you. I, thank you. Like, I'm actually like, I oh, okay, I wasn't yeah. sure so, about that. Not so. entirely accurate. Okay, okay. here's the full it's story. It's a good thing we brought thank this back. Thank you for back. asking. Yeah, Circle it back. There, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so the organization was established as a nonprofit in 2012, and I was hired as the first employee in 2015. So... When it was started, the Native American Rights Fund, which is the oldest Native American um, national law firm in the U.S., they were our fiscal sponsor, and they are out in Boulder, Colorado. So um, it was, you know, some of the folks over at NARF, for short, and our board of directors who were, you know, working on starting this thing up. And then when they finally had enough money to hire their first staff person, they did this national search. I had just finished writing my thesis, which actually covered the boarding school history. Oh, and, you know, fortuitous. It, yeah, it was so perfect. Like I, <laughs> I cried. I was like, oh, my God, it's like I wrote this job description for myself. Um, yeah, I was like, this is perfect. And um, the stars aligned. I got the job. I moved out to Denver and um, got the organization independent. So still working with the folks over at the Native American Rights Fund, but really working to get us our own office, to get us financially independent, to grow our programs, and eventually grow our staff, although I was a staff of one for a couple of years. (laughs) So it was um, difficult. But So when I say I started it, I didn't literally start it, but I kind of started it up. Uh That makes sense. (laughs) It does does make sense. Yeah, Yeah. you're giving credit to the the fact that it was... Established yeah. beforehand. It was but. established, and I helped grow the organization, yeah. basically. So right now we're at a staff of four, and um, 
I'm so grateful to have to have our staff and to be where we're at. We just recently finished um, doing a 10-year strategic plan, and w- it's funded with a $10 million grant. So I no longer have to worry about keeping the lights on. Right. <laughs> well, congratulations. Being able to make payroll for you know these people that have entrusted their their careers and and their lives to me to to make a living. And so it's we're in a really great place. Great. Yeah. That's really great. That's uh, that's fantastic. So, how would you describe what is the mission? The mission is um, that we are leading the way in addressing and understanding the ongoing trauma that was caused by the U.S. Indian boarding school policy. And so, you know, some of the wording in that mission is is very specific. Obviously, ongoing trauma. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, people talk about historical trauma or intergenerational trauma, and and the term historical trauma often makes people think that it's that it's in the past. And then there's this, you know concept that people should just get over it right it's right. it's history focus on the now there's plenty of problems in the now but really it is in the now it is a problem of the now um and so we're, we're working on a few different things regarding highlighting that trauma um number one is just raising awareness right so education educating uh the non-native public the general public in Mm -hmm. this country that this was part of uh federal policy this was a federal campaign um to remove indian children from from their homes and and to take them hundreds of miles away and indoctrinate them into western um culture is there um because youth are youth right they they don't want to learn like i when you when you when you become an adult, when you're an adult and you know your identity in some way, uh, it maybe maybe you should have paid more attention. Are there Native American kids who don't know that this happened too? Well, that's the thing too. So I was going to say, you know, that's the education piece for for the general public is like, hey, this is mm-hmm. American history, not just Native American history. Yep. And then for Native people, most of us know something about boarding schools because they happened in our families um so i knew about boarding schools in high school i knew that it it was a thing that happened i didn't know to what extent it affected um my family personally or my community or other native americans on on the whole um that took a lot more education but i was aware of it and so usually when i go around doing this work if I'm talking to another native person, I can literally just say boarding schools and they know exactly what I'm talking about. In right, not, non-native, not, people think boarding schools are like these, you know, elitist right. places that, you know, you send your kids to because you've yeah. got money and you want a better education. But right. um, yeah, these were federal boarding schools. So a lot of them were run like military institutions mm-hmm. and um, some of them were run by churches as well. Yep. Yeah, so there, there's a big distinction there that... that uh, yeah, for the uh, because I worked at a camp and there, we had kids that went to boarding school. So when I hear boarding school, I've been aware of the Native American boarding schools forever. But that if someone said to me boarding school, I would be thinking of the white version of it, the more affluent version. Right. Often, right. often also run like a military academy or something like that. Right, but, but, but the but key is federal run, which means it's on the cheap. <laughs> you yeah. know, like right. the federal well, government okay. is not um, giving you any you know, no. special extras. It's um, a lot of actually uh, several different reports that were done over the last century that highlighted Indian boarding schools talked about malnutrition, Right. you know, so even just feeding the kids um, right. decent. Kind of basic. Yeah. 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 And 
I mean, should we just jump right into like, I know kind of the backstory or some of it, but so, I mean, when did those policies of, of taking Native American kids away from their families and putting them into these federal run boarding schools, when did that start? What was really, the it evolved. Um, so whenever I, so I usually like have a PowerPoint and I go around and I do this talk. I also sure. gave you a copy of our publication mm-hmm. yeah. um, that is a primer on Indian boarding school history in the U.S. And that also has a timeline and kind of outlines it for you. But basically, this whole concept started with the doctrine of discovery. So it started at contact, right? When settlers found um, this vast space and thought it was theirs to take because of the doctrine of discovery, the, you know, the papal bull, the Pope saying any land that isn't occupied by Christian people can be claimed for the crown and for, you know, for the church. So it's this idea of manifest destiny, right? That the the people who lived here weren't Christian, so they could come and they could you know occupy the land and and displace those people, and um, that gave rise to a lot of Indian wars. I'm you know there's um, some people who have talked about the the U.S. has been at war, you know. 200 and some years, like, you know, practically all the years that we've been in existence. And that's because they're including Indian wars, right? Right. So, like, even before the country was established as the United States of America, they were making war with the indigenous people here and trying to um, trying to um, occupy this land. So that part of history is often not taught from our perspective as native peoples it's taught you know there's that whole romanticized thing about conquering the west and you know the cowboys and indians and even little house on the prairie you know like you know pa has a gun to for what to protect him him and his family against the savage indians right so that whole concept um that of history and how this country was developed is from a settler colonial perspective Mm-hmm. Right. So I talk about history from an indigenous perspective. And from our perspective, we were here living our lives, not harming anybody, right, you know, right. and all of a sudden these people start invading. Right. So it's yep. completely different when you think about it from from that perspective. Of course it is. Yeah. Yeah. And so really from the beginning, um, there were there were Christian people who wanted to um, missionize. You know, mm-hmm. that was them them taking um their save, scriptures to heart. Save the natives. <laughs> right. That know? was, you know, that was what they felt they were charged to do. So um, so there were mission schools even prior to the U.S. being established as a country. Um, but once it was established, um, we know that they made treaties with a lot of these um, Indian nations, sovereign nations. And those treaties, you know, um, put different rights of ours on reserve, right? So a lot of people think the treaties gave us rights. Well, no, we had these rights. These were inherent rights. Um, Those treaties reserved those rights. And so, and they also reserved some of our land um, in exchange for ceding some of the other land um, for for settlers. So um, those treaties were not completely honored by the U.S. Um, some of the land that was set aside for us, for example, the Black Hills, um, were was later, you know, taken. Is that is that you being kind by saying some of them were not honored because they were? I mean, historically, pretty pretty poor. Yeah, I mean, those, right? I'm not uh, I'm not a treaty expert. Uh, Actually, when I was in junior high, I was like, I'm going to be an Indian lawyer and I'm going to study treaties, and treaty <laughs> law. Um, and yeah, there's hundreds of treaties. And so, I mean, somebody could dedicate their whole 
their whole career to studying the treaties. But um, what I know is, yeah, and so that is me being a little kind. I am trying to, you know, be somewhat diplomatic here. Yeah, which is is fine. I appreciate that because I, I don't think, I don't think it does a lot of good usually to sort of beat people over the head with things like it's better to sort of plant a little tree and then see if it grows you know and I'm trying to do Indian 101 here so I'm like trying to keep it like high level like I got a lot to tell you here I know it's limited time (laughs) you know you're doing it's perfect Uh, I I mean I said Indian 101 too yeah (laughs) Yeah, I do it all the time yeah seriously I bet Um, yeah so I didn't mean to interrupt but I just you know there is a there is a history of of not honoring agreements that we've made that I know, you know, kind of persists. I mean, it, hopefully we can, through efforts like your own, yeah. sort of turn the page and kind of come together and and figure out a better future. But it's still there's still a lot of hidden drama. Out yeah, there. I'll say one more thing on the treaties, and then I'll yeah. actually answer your question. Okay. <laughs> Okay. I'm tracking, I'm tracking. Um, so, yeah, a lot of people say, um, as far as the, the treaty rights that we reserved, right, mm-hmm. um, the the fact that the federal government um, promised us health care and education and some rations in exchange for all the land that the U.S. was right. built on, like all the wealth in this country, right, yep. came from the indigenous people giving them the land, right? So um, when we have people who today say like, oh, you know, we need to cut them off. We, you know, stop giving them. It's like, okay, fine. If you don't want to honor the agreement, just give the land back, okay? (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, sure. We can go back to the way it was. Right. Yeah. So anyways, to answer your question. Which was, what was my question? um, When did this policy start? (laughs) Oh, yeah. So like I said, unofficially, you know, mission schools were, were always a thing. But um, it was after the end of treaty making when um, on some of the tribes were not signing treaties. They were still resisting and, um, and so wars were continuing. The U.S. was looking for different ways to deal with the quote-unquote Indian problem. And, and this is documented, and that's why I say quote. I've heard the Indian yes, problem Yes, the before. Indian problem, yes, yeah. is documented. So um, they did a few things. One was um, they had a campaign to kill all the buffalo. So the army was in charge of that, and they would literally like shoot buffalo from a train yep. that was going by. Mm-hmm. Um, you've probably seen the historical photo of like a mountain of buffalo skulls. Yeah, yeah. they killed them to near extinction. Yeah, when, we, when they we stopped, damn near yeah. wiped them all out. Yeah, then. when they stopped, there were only like five hundred buffalo left. Yep. Yeah, and now it's um, what is it? It's a national animal. Yeah, <laughs> now it's now it's honored. Like, <laughs> right? Yeah. Wow, that's interesting. Well, and they're but, back up to is it like. So the original herd that was left in Yellowstone that was pure bison bison and that is their that's their name bison bison Um, that that herd is is still pretty small numbers but what we see today that we think of as buffalo or bison are actually interbred with cows okay Hmm. so they're not pure bison all right. Um, but anyway, I digress. <laughs> no, we're, we're really good at digression. Oh, um, oh yeah, we'll, we'll we'll interrupt and then we'll just keep going down another path. Is, yeah. is what well, happens here. But I do have a question. So, like the boarding school, like when when 
the kids were taken. I mean, were they ever returned, or how? How did? Yeah, how did yeah. The end I mean, and, and there's so happen, many you know? stories. Like, it's there's there's a lot yeah. of different. Um, so boarding school experiences vary vastly depending on uh, the era. You know, so what mm-hmm. generation were you of boarding school attendee? Um, the region, the type of school. Absolutely, people did go back um, to their communities after boarding school. But if you were part of the first generation and you were taken away to boarding school and you didn't speak any English. Um, and then when you came back to your community and you're speaking English and you no longer speak your tribal language because they beat it out of you, literally, right. um, they use corporal punishment and language and culture was prohibited. Mm-hmm. So um, if you go back to your community in that kind of a scenario and your parents and your grandparents only speak your tribal language and they don't speak English, then there's this huge disconnect. Right. Um, there's there's so many things that happen that were like that. Or um, let's say you're, you know, second or third generation boarding school um, where your parents or grandparents experience that language prohibition. They may have known the language and wouldn't teach it to you because they didn't want you to experience that same corporal punishment for speaking the language. So a lot of indigenous languages are actually um, dying out, right. and and this was all by design. This was this was the U.S. design. This was yep. systematic, well, right? It's to deal with the Indian problem, right? So back to that Indian problem, and you know. To answer your question, when did this policy take place? There were two policies that led to Indian boarding schools. One was the Indian Civilization Fund that was enacted in 1819, and that was to administer those funds that had been agreed to in the treaties, right? But notice they called it the Indian Civilization Fund, right? right? It's going to civilize you. Yeah, exactly. That was the the motive, to civilize us into Western civilization, as if we we didn't have our own civilizations. And as if... and as if, view. Uh, anything that you might find in the teachings of, let's say, Christ. I'm not terribly religious, right? But in fact, not really at all. I'm more spiritual than I am religious. But uh, like you could take anything out of the teachings of Christ or the idea of being civilized and, and come to this result where you are going to take people's children away and, and teach them to be different. It's well, just, I think that's a stretch. I think so. I actually, that's what I did my thesis on was Native American spirituality and Christianity. And that's how I covered some of the history in the boarding school. Because um, on my reservation, there's a Catholic church that's pretty dominant. And, you know, if anybody were to check a box of what religion they are, the majority um, in Turtle Mountain would say Catholic. Sure. So um, so I grew up with Catholic influence and and. Then when I started learning the history, I was like, wait, this makes absolutely no sense. So much harm came to my people through through Christianity and the Catholic Church. Why do we still... Um, claim this religion so yeah. so that's a whole and nother maybe podcast that, maybe i said that wrong <laughs> maybe maybe i you, either that you know i probably wasn't clear enough there what i mean is that i don't understand how you could possibly look at what is actually being taught by you know like the teachings of buddha or christ or mm-hmm. or any of these people and who say basically do no harm to other people and then to take that and turn it into the catholicism that i know that was the genesis of so much harm that's happened. It doesn't right. make any sense to me. Well, I mean, look at how many denominations there are. There's so many ways for people to interpret the scriptures, right? Y- sure. So, 
but, uh, but obviously there's ever... disagreement on how to interpret them but i don't i don't think there's anything in there that really says you know um you will find people who are inferior and convert them to your civilized way of life exactly that's just that's just ethnocentrism that's just um you know settler colonialism that's um uh, European empire, you know, that's that whole idea of manifest destiny. I don't necessarily think that comes from the Bible. Um, I, I would say it absolutely does yeah, not. Uh, you couldn't find it in there. It, there's nothing in there that says go harm people like this. It does say to go and, um, oh, what's the exact word? Evangelize. Evangelize, yes. yes. Go and spread the word. That's different, though. Which people have taken to, like, extreme degrees. And I think mission missionaries in the last several decades have really seen um, – that they need to separate the gospel from culture, from from different cultures, right? right? That yep. as they've missionized all over the world, they've started to see that people. And this was also in my thesis, you know, yeah. that you can you can acculturate, you can you can blend cultures, um, and and that Christianity is somewhat of a culture of its own, but that it can be adopted and lend itself to different expressions, different cultural expressions, right? Right. Yep, but it should not be used as the backbone for uh, destroying people's cultures and, and Right, lives. and forced conversion is a whole other thing. Yeah. The Bible does not say go and forcibly convert no. these people. Beat them if they don't submit to Christ. Yeah, I, I don't <laughs> think that's in there. I really no, don't. No, I don't think so either. No. Anyway. <laughs> so after anyway. the Indian Civilization Fund Act um, in 1869 was Grant's peace policy, and that was the supposed end of treaty making. He said, okay, it's now a time of peace right which is funny because it was like we're not gonna make any more treaties but really he was trying to put an end to indian wars so that's why it was called the peace policy um so no more treaties no more wars supposedly um and that's around the time um when they started killing the buffalo and then they also opened the first federal indian boarding school and that was um a guy named colonel pratt who had some prisoners of war and had taught them English and um, kind of started to uh, assimilate them and took his his experiment to some folks in the federal government and said, look, they're capable of being civilized. You should mm-hmm. let me open a school. Right. And so he opened the first federal off-reservation Indian boarding school, which was Carlisle in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. Okay. Yeah, and so that was the beginning of it. And so through and the Indian Civilization Fund Act, oh, that was 1879. Okay, so, and so late 1800s. Yeah, yeah, and so through the Indian Civilization Fund Act, they were able to use federal dollars to um, fund Christian boarding schools. Okay. Yeah, so not all of them were, were the federal military institutions like hmm. Carlisle. Some of them were... Um, Catholic or Christian boarding schools that were receiving federal dollars to quote unquote civilize the Indians. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and man. you should know that 64 of these Indian boarding schools are still open around the U.S. today. Now, wait a minute. Yes. Yeah, what's happening there? <laughs> what do you mean? What's going on in there? What are they, what so, are, they're open as what? As Indian boarding schools. What? Yeah, yeah. So the they are no longer um, the same historical assimilative model. Okay. 
in the 70s, the um, American Indian Education Act um, went through and there was the American Indian movement along with the civil rights movement. Um, So in the 70s, we saw a lot of changes and uh, a lot of boarding schools shut down. And the ones that remained open were actually turned over to the tribes to be run. So Mm -hmm. these boarding schools that are still in existence today, um, if they are being run by the Bureau of Indian Affairs through that federal arm, they are um, working closely with the tribes in the surrounding areas or the tribes who are sending their students there. And a lot of them promote language and culture now. Gotcha. So it's it's different, but they carry that legacy. Yeah, yeah. I can't imagine like being on the same, you know, being in the same structure, I guess, you know, that has that history. Mm-hmm. But we talk about this sort of stuff yeah. all the time. It, you know, we we have as a part of our project we're kind of working on this hidden history thing and everybody there's there's multiple layers of hidden history if you and and we as humans uh you know if you if you start digging the foundation for a building and you find uh some artifacts some artifacts or remnant of of a prior civilization they shut it down they do an archaeological dig they figure out what was there so every time we dig down and we find something we're intrigued by it and it's you know in some cases we're intrigued by our our more recent past and then a lot of it distant past but that's that's kind of the universal humanness of us all anyone could be intrigued by what you find as you dig down in these layers but what we do in our regular life is we don't tell the hidden history of any of these spots so if there's a legacy to a building that is now being used for something good but it was being used for something bad before there's probably a legacy there's probably a land use of of that spot from before that there's more history going back that you could tell that you could describe to a place and and the real this hidden history stuff for me it is it's not about saying get over it let's move on you know if you'll be fine uh it's more about uncovering what has happened and then and then finding ways to connect the people who are still carrying the trauma of the past to hopefully you know get them together and and talk about ways to heal and move forward and that perspective on history is definitely cultural as well because um a lot of different tribes you know we have different traditions but on the whole a lot of us uh, have oral history cultures and so that history is not lost you know and so that's something to look at um for the u.s and and other other parts of the world um that have lost touch with their indigenous roots is is how they how they remember their history because that's part of who we are as indigenous peoples is we know our history Yep. We know our family history. We know our stories. We know Until our connection a, to the land and places and, and memory and things right. like that. Until there's a schism in that where you've got where you where you take the kids away and don't let them learn the language anymore. Now that history can't be passed on. Exactly. And a lot of it um, was lost to a lot of people. Yeah. Um, but a lot of it was also um, taken kind of underground, so to speak, yeah. and kept in secret. And, and safeguarded. So, yeah. It's, some of it is, is still with us today. Yeah, and I think you know we're at a we're at a unique point in history where uh, the the collection of that information and the and the 
preservation of it is necessary as much as as humanly possible now. Absolutely. If you look at the globe and what is happening on this planet, there's no way humanity is going to move forward unless we acknowledge where we've been and what we've done to each other on this planet in the past. We can't keep hurting each other. We can't keep harming the planet. We, you know, we... Only the rich people are going to make it off the planet if we're going to live out That's in space. That's not going to work. That's not going to work. <laughs> no, it, and and if you take if you look at it from that perspective, not the we need to conquer this so my people can do better perspective, mm-hmm. but the we need to tackle our largest problems together for the sake of humanity. Absolutely. Uh, you, I, I talk about this all the time. I can't believe the amount of of waste we have in of of just human capital just of yeah. who we are the stories the the thoughts the strength the intelligence of all of the people who we marginalize and put in these places and we don't get like it's just a it's just a waste yeah i mean you look at germany they're not they're not going to do another holocaust right i would hope because not. they absolutely acknowledged what happened and 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 faced it Right. And so now it's taught to to their children when they're growing up and going to school. It's, you know, that history is is put in front of them so that they won't repeat it. Here in the U.S., we have not acknowledged the genocide that we committed on the indigenous people here. So what are we doing? Oh, we're just going to keep doing it. We're just going to keep perpetuating it. They just ignore it. Yeah. 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 We were just talking about this um, because there was a Holocaust um, anniversary, actually, the other day with the survivors. And I was watching some footage of that. And, you know, it was interesting to uh, it's uh, it's crazy to see the footage of what had happened. It's not even that long ago, you know. Um, But the survivors that were there visiting... um, in Germany, you know, they were talking about the fact that, you know, you just can't forget, you have to remember, and you have to mark these things on a calendar, you know, because history, you know, could repeat itself is what they were saying, it is. you know, we're taking and children at the border, absolutely, and putting them in so cages. it's so relevant today, you yeah. know, and, you know, mm. since we've been doing this, this podcast, actually, and we've had this variety of people come in, I mean, I myself have been you know, sort of awakened to so many things, you know, the hidden history and the hidden trauma, you know, um, that you just have to look at and you have to talk about and have to realize the land that you're walking on and the land that's being built on. I love that you say you have to, but I think so many people are resistant to that out of fear. Because yeah. what does yeah. acknowledging that mean, right? Yeah. right? And it's the change that may come from the acknowledgement of these things and the fear of, of finding out what happened. Right. And I joked earlier about giving the land back, but that's really what people are afraid of. And as far as the Catholic Church who, who ran a lot of these boarding schools, they're afraid of they don't want to acknowledge because they're afraid of lawsuits. Like they've been inundated sure. with lawsuits and all that sexual sure. abuse that happened um, in some of those um, congregations and dioceses that happened at boarding school. Of course it did, yeah. There's in South Dakota, there's a group of um, sisters who went to Catholic boarding school and they are trying to bring a lawsuit against the, the boarding school and South Dakota um, changed their statute of limitations to um, within three years of turning 18. So to, to disallow people from 
right. being able to go back mm-hmm. that right. far. Right. So time. the federal statute of limitations is 40 years. Right. And South Dakota, um, the Catholic Church lobbied for this legislation, of course, to right. protect itself from lawsuits. And um, every year they try to um, change that legislation. And it, it keeps getting voted down because it's to protect the church from further lawsuits. Right. But, you know, um, and so our organization was not created, even though we were created by a law firm, um, we're, we're not trying to do some kind of class action lawsuit. So the Canadian right. Truth and Reconciliation Commission was the result of a class action lawsuit for the residential schools in Canada. Um, but here in the U.S., like the statute of limitations and all that, it's just it's just too big of an uphill battle. Mm-hmm. Um and we don't have, you know, millions and millions of dollars to throw at a lawsuit. Right. We'd rather use the couple of mil that we've gotten recently right, right. to educate, um, to do some healing work, to do some advocacy, um, to try and educate people and say, look, the gov- the government should should voluntarily acknowledge this. Why do we have to bring a lawsuit, you know? I think and about then, that all the time. And will that be true justice? What is justice? We're looking for actually transformative justice. We don't just want an apology and some money thrown at it. We want things to change. We want transformative justice. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think I think it's really actually not as difficult as we make it. Um, it's, you know, if you, if you do someone a wrong in your life, if you, if you hurt someone, there's, there's ways to give an honest apology and then to say, all right, now what can I do to help us heal and to make this better? Right. And I won't do it again. And I won't do it again. And I've learned, I've learned, you know, and, and I've learned, I've understand your perspective. And now I see that I need to help figure out what the next steps are and let's move forward. I know it's, that's all we want. And, and is that too much to ask? Not at all. No, In fact, it's embarrassing. <laughs> it's embarrassing to me that that we we and you know it's it's not but we the larger government we cling to this idea that we can't just say this happened. Right? We're we're sorry. These are the steps we're going to take to right this wrong. And and that's that I don't know. That just feels easier actually in the end than than continuing to fight against the whole idea that it actually happened. Like, no, it, it did. We know it. Can we just move forward in peace together? Absolutely. So. All right, well, let's take a quick quick break, shall we? A little break. A little break. Just a short break. <laughs> <laughs> Today's show is brought to you by the Andalin app, a first-of-its-kind digital legacy preservation app that allows you to digitally attach photos, videos, and audio recordings to the places and objects you love. Imagine hearing your grandmother's voice telling the stories of your family heirlooms. Preserve your memories, prepare for the future, and share with those you love. Andalin, available in the App Store and Google Play. Visit andalin.app for more information. Need some help with a construction project? Looking for thoughtful design and honest answers about what is possible and what is not? Kinetic Design Build is a full-service boutique remodeler servicing residential and commercial clients in the Twin Cities. Design and build with purpose. Visit kineticdesignbuild.com to request a consultation. Packing for a trip? Let Pack Simply give you a little help by delivering travel-safe products directly to your door in an airport security-safe pouch. Unbelievably easy and surprisingly simple. Make your life easier. Visit PackSimply.com. 
Interested in art? James Holmberg is both an artist and an art consultant. His strong connections in the Minnesota art world give him a unique perspective on the talented pool of artists from our region. Let James guide you to an original work that will come alive in your home. Visit jamesholmberg.com to find out more. All right. Do you want to go on a wilderness adventure with me, Sam? Or maybe you know a group of kids who could benefit from an extended break from their electronics. Or maybe you just need a break from those kids. Visit earthedfound.org for more information about how to get started. For information about becoming a sponsor of Legacy Matters, please visit LegacyMattersPodcast.com. All right. Quick, All right. quick break. We're back with Christine. Um, I don't know. Where were we? What were we talking? I, I feel like... Well, I... I just want to... Oh. Yeah, go ahead. I just want to say one thing. I, uh, I feel like I was very much looking forward to this conversation because I think it's an important thing to get out. And I think that, you know, we're not going to change the world in here today and the podcast isn't going to go out and, and educate everybody and, and change the world. But it's like throwing the pebbles into the pond or something. Uh, someone threw a pebble into the pond far before we came along that got me thinking about this, that got you thinking about this. And hopefully someone listens to this and, and you know, is at least slightly enlightened by the conversation, figures something out, talks to someone else. And I think that's how the movements kind of have to go. Absolutely. Out of yeah. thousands of listeners, I hope so. <laughs> it, well, I well, it, you, it yes, does. It, it works. It yeah. does work. Because, I mean, I find myself in a lot of conversations because of this, you know, where I'm like, where I wouldn't have had those conversations a couple years ago. That's so. right. And and after we went to uh, the MIA, it was the uh, Native American Women's Art Yep. Museum, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Or uh, exhibit. Because mm-hmm. it was Joe Yo. Jill. I'm, Jill, I'm sorry. Jill sorry, Alberg. Jill. <laughs> Jill Alberg Yo. Yes. Came in. And uh, that has been one of the, consistently one of the most popular shows we've done yeah, so it far. Has. It ranks up there, which to me says that there are people who are hearing this stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I it, when you make content like this, I don't, it's sort of like screaming into the void or something. Yeah, is I don't, anybody out there? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. I don't really know who's listening, but it, but I know that people are, and I know that, you know, even if it's, even if it's just a handful of people who then go out and talk to, you know, our, they're having a beer with their friends and they're like, hey, did you know that this happened? You know, and they talk about it a little bit. I just heard it well, on the and show the So other day. that seems to be how the healing happens. Like, did you part know that this happened? Like, the, it starts, it's part of it. It's absolutely, it's, it starts yeah. with awareness and, and those conversations, both the healing for um, humanity as a whole, um, for, for non-Native people to, to start talking about this history and acknowledging it. But even in our Native communities, that's where it starts. Like, acknowledging, you know, how my grandfather's boarding experience, boarding school experience affected my mother and then how that right. in turn affected me and then how that in turn affected my children. Like that awareness, um, it really it really takes some time. It really does. And I haven't even made you cry yet, Sam. You, we yeah. haven't even talked about those well, impacts and how they're showing up today. You did make me cry though. I, um, you know, I, I could feel the emotions welling. My eyes got all watery and, and I'm fine with that. If you get me talking about you know, even you mentioned uh, the separation of 
families at the border and, mm-hmm. and kids in cages. I, I just can't handle that stuff. I can't believe we do that. You yeah. know, it's, it's, it, there's a reason why, uh, the, the word human is in inhumane. I mean, yeah. it, it is, I don't know what it takes for us to look at every other human and understand that we are all the same. You know, it, the, the differences in, in looks and skin tone and eye color and all these things are nothing by comparison with any difference you will find in, in all of the other species we share this planet with. We're, we're really close to all of them too, mm-hmm. very close, but we're extra super, we're the same. Yeah. Humans are. So they actually, um, the government, they um, was able to enforce boarding school attendance through legislation that said if if a parent didn't let their child go to Indian boarding school, that they could um, incarcerate them or withhold rations. So th- we actually have a photo, a uh, historical photo, that shows about 19 men who were being held at Alcatraz um, in prison because they resisted letting their children go to boarding school. So imagine that. Like, I know you talked about, mm. like, just never, as a parent. I know, as a parent, yeah. you know, somebody comes in, the government comes in and wants to take your child to school. If, and you don't I'm want them to go. say no. Yeah, and you say no. They and if I take you with away. Gun, then I'm grabbing a bat. If right? I don't have a bat, I'm just punching. You're not taking my kids away from me. You right. know, I, I, can, I can't imagine the pain both both from the child's perspective and the parent's perspective and i'll tell you i you know you can you can ask the question do they ever get to go back to their parents I, they never come back to their parents the same right. that that is it, it is impossible right. to to understand all of the trauma involved in in that experience you know it, it's well, that was the thing I was trying to envision, you know, like what, what is that, what's that, how does that look, what does that look like when it happens, you know, you know, do they show up and, and like, okay, now the kids come with us. Yeah, and, no, they would and, literally just show up at your house. We have stories no, of people, their yeah, and, people would send their children, um, hide them within the house so yeah. that they wouldn't get to, and this is as recent as, you know, my mom's generation. So, yeah, so up right. until when, roughly, you know, it been well, kind people of the were still of taking children and sending them to boarding schools in the 80s, even though it oh, wasn't no it, the historical assimilative model and, you know, some legislation had been acted to, to protect us, including the American Indian Religious Freedom Act. Yes, we have a special act for our religious freedom because it was outlawed <laughs> previously. It's not the same as anyone else's. Right, yeah, yeah, no, it's special. Um, so, yeah, no, people, and, and people are still being taken today. Children are still being taken today. It's through the um, social welfare, yeah, through the foster care. Right. That's a, another one that, you know, I don't know, people should tread lightly on the on the idea of ever taking kids away, but at the same time, I understand there's protection issues that need to, in all communities, that need yeah. to be well in some cases so there's south dakota again um you know has has cases where it's it's obvious that the the social workers are um culturally biased yeah you know, and are abusing is poverty the power of, is is poverty really neglect you know is right. that is, is that abstract pol- poverty or whatever it is right yeah is that the fault of the parent or is that right. yeah so um 
in the 60s, the Bureau of Indian Affairs um, did the uh, Indian Adoption Project, and they actually placed photos of Indian children in newspapers, um, and, like commodities, and said, you know, adopt an Indian child. They come in all hues and colors, and yeah. <laughs> so, what the fuck? Well, it was cheaper Seriously? than, yeah, it was cheaper than running a boarding school. And so what happened in the boarding schools, they used the children as forced labor, and um in some of those cases, when they would farm the children out to house households to be domestic laborers or, um, you know, f- working the farm, they found that the children assimilated quicker. Oh. And so that began this idea that if you just place them directly in a white household, they will assimilate faster. And then we don't have to, you know, bear the burden of running a boarding school and, and all those expenses. And how old are they? That's really, how old are these kids? Like oh, so, some of them are as young as three years old. Okay. I mean, it really yeah. depends. And, and, and foster care today, there's, there is no age right. limit. I mean, they, they'll take a baby. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I've so, got a three and a half year old at home and, yeah, I mean, you just don't you don't regain what is lost in those separations. It never it never comes back a hundred percent. It's not that it's not that lives can't work out okay, but but it's if it's not murder, it's uh, it's living murder of some sort. If you know, yeah. So, yeah. So with you, you know, going forward right now, you talked about some of the healing work. Mm-hmm. Like, what does that consist of? A lot of it really has to do with that education and awareness. Yeah. I mean, you, we can't heal anything unless we're fully aware of what the, what the problem is, what the mm. issue is, how it's showing up. Um, so that's that's a huge part of it. And then we're doing some advocacy work, you know, along the lines of pursuing justice. Um, we did a filing to the United Nations last summer that um, asked about the children who went missing at boarding schools. So up mm. in Canada with their Truth and Reconciliation Commission, the government court ordered all the boarding school records to be brought to the commission. So as a result of having all the records, they were able to tabulate some statistics. They had 150 boarding schools in Canada. Okay. 100,000 children went to those boarding schools. Yikes. Um, approximately 6,000 died or went missing okay. in those boarding schools. Okay, so same questions for the U.S., well, the answer is, we don't know. Right. We asked, um, we did a Freedom of Information um, request, Free- Freedom of Information Act request, um, asking the government these very questions. Um, the response was that they don't do research. The records, uh, the federal school records are spread out all across the country. The church records are held in church archives. Nobody has compiled all the all the records. Yeah, so we're sorry. We can't help you. Right. So we've been doing some independent research. Um, that publication I gave you has mm-hmm. a list. We had an independent researcher work on this for like six years, and she found 357 boarding schools here in the U.S. Okay. And like I mentioned, 64 of those are still open today. So... If you compare 357 boarding schools in the U.S. to 150 in Canada, we can estimate that we had at least, um, you know, 200 to 300,000 children go through these right. boarding schools. And how many died or went missing? We don't know. We and did. What's the, I wonder what, uh, if you compare that to just the statistical average of number of kids out of 100,000 that die of natural causes. You know, not to not to make any excuses for anyone ever. I'm not trying to do that, but. Uh, no, there's there's record that a lot of the children died from preventable diseases like yeah, tuberculosis. Right. Yeah, right. That's what yeah. that's another part of it that you need right. to know. You know, someone 
this this whole not keeping records and not sharing records thing really pisses me off because they they do this with uh with fatalities like gun gun violence and stuff just to keep you from knowing yeah. the truth and and what if if you're afraid of someone knowing the truth there's something going on that right. should be brought to light so we did this filing to the UN. Um, we had a researcher who was um, looking at records for just four schools okay. and found about a dozen children who went missing on the record. Right. Um, so we took the the filing to the United Nations, the Working Group on Enforced Involuntary Disappearances. We made these general allegations against the United States, and they accepted our case and then made an official inquiry into the U.S., and now we're waiting for U.S. government response. I bet, so we're that, ho- I bet that'll be coming Real quick. Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, like, you, you know someone's working right now to get that out, Are you out, serious? Dude, no. I thought you were God. being facetious. Thank he's, God. He's yeah, totally like, oh, he's kidding. Totally, yeah. No, I'm totally right. being sarcastic. Right. Yeah, good luck. Yeah. yeah, because we've actually passed oh, the 60-day mark for them to respond. So, yeah, no, they're not They're not on it. Um, who knows what's happening? I mean, I oh. think there's – we're, we're, we're going to follow up. Um, but we are actually hoping that somebody – Responds and that they do give us some answers and that they do um, allocate some resources to finding these answers. You know, and it's not it's not fair to believe that everybody in government just doesn't care or something. That, that's not at all the case. It's complicated. It's it's super complicated and sometimes like, I mean, it's like the uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, the scene where they where the they put the thing into the government warehouse and then the government warehouse stretches on forever and ever. Like there is truth in some ways to the idea that if you're looking for records from 1910 to 1920, they're buried away. They're good still Lord, away somewhere. You know, some, and there, yeah. And there's some, yeah. there's some probably perhaps even well-meaning, well-intentioned employees like, Oh God, I don't know how I'm ever going to find any of this stuff. Well, we are actually building a um, national boarding school digital archive. And now so, we're talking. Yeah. And so um, we just recently hired a director of digital archives and the federal repositories around the country are, that's the low hanging fruit. Like, obviously we can go there and we can get access to these records. That's easy. Okay. It's it's the other records. So we've estimated that the federal archives only hold 20% of those 357 boarding schools. Oh, right. We don't know where 80% of the records are. Right. Hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a a ton to unpack as far as just getting all of that oh, yeah. information out. But that's there. one of the it things is. that you guys are kind of going for. Absolutely. We are committed to to telling that truth, to finding that that history and exposing it it's uh we'll talk after we're off, when we're off air but it's possible that our tool that we've built could be of use to you and we'd be happy to make it available so awesome. we'll, we'll talk about that but, great um yeah man uh, it's heavy else? stuff isn't it you know you, well it isn't it well it's just life i mean it's actually just history i mean so it is heavy but yeah. but it's like this but, is what we need to do I yeah mean, was i able the, to say that earlier did i make yeah. that clear that you that you've made you're very articulate. You have a really good understanding of all of this, and you have a way of making it uh, at least, you know, understandable. And I wouldn't say palatable because that's a different right. connotation. But I'm not trying to make it palatable. No, <laughs> no, and it's not that. But it's it's digestible. Well, it's like you said, palatable is one you thing, know, digestible is another. Yeah, you right? do yeah. this a lot. 101, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what it is. And, 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 you know, for me, partly it is. It certainly is, you know. 
So well, and we've got we've got mountains of trauma that need to be uh, dealt with in this country. We've got the you know the treatment of the Native Americans, the treatment of Irish immigrants, the treatment of uh, Black Americans, the you know just and then even recent stuff, Mexicans, Japanese, Chinese. We've got histories of of all sorts of mistreatment here in Minneapolis the Somalian community Somali community yeah. yep uh, redlining that happened here it's, a, it's right. a problem of humanity it's not just native americans it's we all No have. and it, and that doesn't it, it's like i tell my kids uh, when they ask me which one of them do i love more uh, <laughs> well you know i tease them that it's the i have two boys and a and the baby's a girl, right? So 12 and 10 and three and a half, of course. Obviously, it's the girl. Yeah. <laughs> it's the baby. For sure. Thank yes. you. Yeah. Yes. But what I actually explained to them in the end is that, that you know, we tend to think of the well as a, or the heart, excuse me, as a well of finite mm. capacity. And, and it's actually not. You can keep, I, I love each of them with everything I've got. Not... I don't love them all in the same way, but I love them equally in the sense that I love just about everyone I know just about as much as I love everyone else I know. And this this trauma that's out there, it's it's the same thing. There's a there's kind of an infinite well of things that need to get solved here, and that's humanity. Yeah. And uh, no one's no one's trauma and no one's history is any more or less valid or important or whatever but when you when you know what you need to bring light to you bring light to it yeah. you know and that's what you're up to right and this is recent right so it's easier yeah. um it's it's right here it's an opportunity right in front of us here in the US um to to acknowledge and to to set a new course for history and for humanity Yep. So I, when you were mentioning like education, for instance, are you guys, do you have a presence in some of the schools here in town? In the well, we're national, so it's a little more complicated than that. But we are working with the National Indian Education Association to create curriculum. Mm -hmm. And that curriculum can be used both in tribal schools as well as public schools. We're working to create some more curriculum down the road that can just be accessed online for free. The problem with that, of course, is, you know, state standards. And um, so it's, you know, it's it's a conundrum. Do we go state by state and create curriculum for each state, which, you know, we do the, the work of, of matching it to the standards? Or do we just throw out this general curriculum and then say, if you want to use it, you have to adapt it to your standards? Right. Sure. Yeah. So I'm, I'm of the, the latter persuasion mm -hmm. yeah it sounds like a difficult task to meet each state's requirements and, but who knows yeah so we're working on curriculum we have a resource database with over 300 resources on our website which is boardingschoolhealing.org we're in the process of building our digital archive one of our first grants for that digital archive came from the minnesota humanities center great yeah so we're working on digitizing the records from the pipestone indian boarding school we're working with the upper sioux community on tribal consultation to support data sovereignty which is the idea and the concept that when you're taking data that it's about tribal citizens that you consult with that tribal nation, that mm -hmm. they they actually own the data that tribes uh, as as sovereign nations get to say who collects data on their citizens, how that data is collected, how it's modern, used. In in modern times, 
Yeah, these are these are yeah. modern sovereign nations. Each no, time. no, I mean, I mean, if you're collecting. Oh, data, going forward, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, you're saying going forward, if you're collecting data on these people, then they have these these demands of what happens with that. Then. Yeah, yeah, fair yeah. enough. And this yeah. is this, you know, this is recent um, because there was that that historical perspective that we were, you know, these entities to be studied, especially around <laughs> the turn of the century, the last century, when it was, you know, the the idea that we were being assimilated and that our cultures were dying out, you know, we were going extinct. And so anthropologists were studying us and trying to document our cultures and languages mm-hmm. before they died out and et cetera, et cetera. So um, even archaeologists you know um, Mm -hmm. studying us and the um, Native American Graves and Repatriation Protection Act was enacted to protect our artifacts and our remains because mm-hmm. museums all over the world have our, have our objects, our sacred objects. and Yeah, give them back, people. Our, our ancestors' remains, which is completely, you know, disrespectful and, for lack of a better term, sacrilegious to have our I mean, No one would want to put bones. up with that. Yeah. You know. But they still do. There's auctions going on all over the um, world that, you know, the Native American Graves and Repatriation Protection Act only applies here in the U.S. So, right. you know, Paris will be having an auction and they'll be like, oh, you know, sacred medicine man's rattle or whatever for $30,000 right. know, or 30,000 euro. And it's like, right. no, that belongs to us. You need to give that back. Right. So we actually have... Um, you know, watchdogs tracking those auctions and um, saying, hey, this is, you know, this is a Hopi item or this is a Dakota item and, you know, you need to give it back to the tribe. Yeah, I mean, I think if, you know, if people want to put that into some context for, you know, kind of white America, uh, when they find when they find the remains of uh, Vietnam vets or, or Vietnam, Vietnam soldiers who died, yeah, they, they want them back. They want mm-hmm. them brought back. Like, why wouldn't... That's a universal thing. Right. People want right. their... That's a really good example. I'm sure that's striking a chord with some of your listeners. Can you imagine if the Vietnamese people, like, put those up in a museum? And sold and them. And sold like, them off. Joe, yeah. you know, like, oh, my God, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, that just wouldn't fly because it should never fly. Right. Yeah. But for some reason, you know, for some reason, you dig up a Native American at right. the turn of the century, the last century, and that's something that is a novelty around the world. Like that's, yeah. it's, they should right. come back. All of that, there should be a lot more repatriation of, of yeah. sacred items. And, and that just comes from that idea of, of patrimony, you know, that, right. that, that somehow one culture was above the other. Mm-hmm. Well, whoever wins, right? You know, whoever, whoever, whoever wins. Whoever gets dominates. To, dominates right, yeah. gets to be right. that, that person. And, and without, without care and concern for the people that, I, it just doesn't make yeah, any sense. Yeah, but did you guys win? I don't know. We're still here. I don't think so. Right. Yeah. I, this is something that... No one uh, wins. I know. This is something that I, I I am cautious in the way that I say this because it, it tends to come off. I, I hate it when people say, I'm going to say something that's offensive, and then they say the offensive thing. <laughs> I'm anyway. always on the edge of my seat, actually. I'm <laughs> well, like, oh I my did, gosh. so it's your turn, and then yeah. Jim will go next. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I think that though the... Though the history of trauma is so, we were talking about, uh, you know, like the the oppressor and the oppressed, or the mm-hmm. victor and the loser, whatever, however you want to look at it, right? And I think, like, in a in kind of a maybe it's a karma karmic sense or just energy sense. Like, I don't think either side wins. I think the I think the trauma of the of the event lives on in different ways 
on both ends and you neither side could live when when we're in discord with one another and when murders happen and when bad things happen both sides move forward without healing until something changes and i know that over generations that starts to fade i think mm-hmm. um but well, cert- it gets forgotten. Yeah. I mean, it gets I think forgotten. That's, that's the hidden history. That's it is, the but it persists. Trauma. I just believe that it persists right. in the in. I think that that's intergenerational trauma that just continues to persist until yeah. it somehow fades. Well, you well, mentioned Lao Tzu, with your war, right? And then yes, yeah. PTSD. Yeah, today. like with your mother. Yeah, you know, and then her mother. Mm-hmm. I mean, like you don't even know necessarily. You know what. I mean, when I think about my mother's mother, you know, and, and, you know, even World War II, you know, I mean, it's not that long ago. Right. But you have these things then that, that happen, and they kind of, you know, there's this weird thing that happens then in between the generations. Or people who lived through the Great Depression. Yeah, that's I mean, for exactly the rest of their right. lives, they yeah. ration food and they ration, you know, resources. Right. Yeah. I mean, I grew up around, so my grandmother lived with us for a while and it was still, you know, like save everything, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, and then the 80s came along and plastic and everything was free for all for yeah. a while. But, but you know. Well, my it, job is so fun. I get to um, go into all these different sectors, right? So I'm doing, you know, I'm dabbling in um, history and, and academia and, and education. And then I'm over here, you know, doing some politics. And then I'm doing research. And then we're looking at trauma and, and social welfare and, and well-being and health. And, and regarding trauma, um, it is transformative. Trauma transforms the human body, heart, mind and soul Mm -hmm. Um, in times of crisis it allows us to survive and adapt what happens when you're no longer under threat um, you know is do you take do you take that transformation that happened from that trauma and does it propel you um, to 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 move forward or do you get stuck do you get stuck reliving that fight or flight response, right? Yep. So like the ACEs study, Adverse Childhood Experiences, that study was was monumental. Um, and it's it's only, you know, 10, 12 years old. And, and they're looking to recreate it because it was done on upper white middle class people. Sure. <laughs> but even upper white middle class people exhibited trauma, right? So if you have these childhood experiences that are traumatic it transforms your um your brain chemistry and then the aces study showed that you have some adverse health outcomes as an adult related to childhood experience of course yeah and i think i i think that we forget our 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 inner selves when we when we think that that isn't the case like like it amazes me that we have to do these studies to show something that really if you think about it should kind of be yeah you should just know this these these traumatic things will have an effect on your life and that's why i wonder if both sides bear some if they carry some weight of that trauma whether it's carried evenly or not maybe that's something i should throw in there because i don't think it is carried evenly but but let's say both sides of a a traumatic event the the oppressor and the oppressed uh carry it it's going to have an effect on them throughout life. There's just no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. So. Yes, there's a book. I'm looking it up. Um, a book called Hidden Wounds. Hmm. Sounds right up. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think that's the name of it. Yeah. Um, maybe that's not. Oh, I could be wrong. But it's to that 
to to that same point that right. um, you know. I think the book gives, and I haven't read it. Somebody else told me to read it. <laughs> sure, <laughs> so, yeah. There's only so, so much talking time about a book day. I haven't read, but um, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm guessing you don't well have a lot of time on your hands. <laughs> Gosh, I know. Yeah. So yeah, but the book talks about, um, for example, um, slave owners who felt guilty about yeah. owning slaves, right? Yeah. So that's kind of the hidden wound. It's like white people's hidden wound. And you could you could also call it white guilt, right? There's been more stuff written recently sure. about that type. Sure. You know, so yes, I think, you know, non-native people absolutely feel this history and are carrying some trauma. Um well and even within a given community, like like not every white person is held a slave and not every white person, you know, has a family history that that dates back to doing this thing or that thing. But even even in a micro level, in a family, when you when you commit some act against your child or something that's traumatic for the child, it's also traumatic for you. You both live it, it, it these things are whether it's this big or it's this big, my hands went from small to big. Uh, <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of gesturing radios. going on. Yeah. But whether it's this or that, it it, it it's all kind of the same thing. We all know yeah. that when you know that's why you sort of want to. I like. I'm not. I'm not out uh, trying to save everything all the time. But you kind of want to put out your your best self and try and be as decent as you possibly can each day, understanding the people you live around. And I think some of those wounds are especially hidden for non-native people because they've been capsulized in a certain way, or they've been framed um, or filed away under a certain context. For example, we find that there's a lot of racism in border towns, towns that border a reservation. Um, and when you look at it, it's it's really plain and really obvious that that goes back to just a couple generations ago when the reservation and the town were established mm-hmm. and that the the white people saw the native people as a threat. Right. Right? And that's persisted. And that's persisted. So, you know, for somebody growing up in a border town today, really, you know, need to ask yourself where that racism comes from. Mm-hmm. Why do you feel threatened by Native people or why do you dislike Native people? You know, what? where did that come from? Yep. And, uh, you know, I think this, what, for whatever it's worth, these types of conversations, like bringing back just getting together and talking is uh it's a valuable thing for people to do we've got we've got uh bradley harrington coming in uh-huh. in a couple of weeks yeah. i'm looking forward to that um any chance we get to if someone wants to talk to us you know granted we're two white guys i get it <laughs> you know but but if someone wants to talk to us about any anything um they should get in touch so uh, so Christine, before I know you have to leave here shortly. But yeah. What do you do for fun? Yeah, I was gonna say. Oh you my know? gosh. I was gonna get yeah, there what, what, what's your downtime? What's, what's, what's your downtime? I mean, you've got kids, so that's probably full time. You know, obviously, yeah. you know. I no, mean, to be honest, I that's really. Fun. I take I take self care very seriously because of the work I do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not only confronting my own historical trauma and and my own childhood trauma. Um, but I'm also confronting other people's trauma yeah, yeah. on a daily basis, and um, it gets it gets to be really hard sometimes. Um, so I 
I do make sure that I, I take care of myself. Um, I, I go to the gym and honestly, Zumba is one of my favorite oh my things. Gosh. So, so I, awesome. we were talking on the break about yeah. how I went to the arts high school here in Minnesota yep. and mm-hmm. I went for dance. Right. So I've always loved dance. And um, so Zumba is a way where I can get myself to the gym. I get some cardio, but it's like fun. It's not like working out. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. In my younger days, it was actually like going out and dancing. Club and now I'm just, yeah, yeah, I'm just, right. Yeah. You're, I'm you're too not old for the that. Club it's just now? Not, no, <laughs> no, I'm in bed by nine o'clock. <laughs> You've turned right. into an old fuddy duddy. Okay. Yeah. So you're not clubbing anymore, dancing at the club, but Zumba. Yeah. Zumba's great. It's totally I mean, like, they, I haven't done it, but I, I hear it's really good. Oh I know gosh. an instructor, though. Yeah. They do the light yeah. show like right. our club just put in like special Ooh. lights so it is like being at the club where do you <laughs> except go you're in your if, workout if you don't clothes. mind me asking um i go to lifetime okay yep. yeah in highland Classic. park yeah yeah okay yeah. yeah yeah if any of your listeners show up there say hi to me right <laughs> <laughs> i love it i love it okay yeah. uh, i'm glad you snuck that one in um let's throw this in too. a couple of things first of all uh because one show is uh, is not enough. One show is not enough, and one it show isn't. is kind of like we got to get to know each other. We got to like feel out whether we're on the same page about mm-hmm. things, and we want a little backstory and stuff. Uh, a second show, which you can schedule whenever you want, uh, is is usually a little more loose. Like we're like, hey, how are you doing? You know, it's just looser than this. Oh my yeah, god! Yeah. <laughs> right, you're used to something a little bit more uh, scripted, yeah, maybe, a or a little formal. bit more like you know. Yeah, but we have a lot of folks that are coming back on the second second phase, as they say. Well, I think you can you can just touch on different things. I mean, we can talk about silly things from your youth and stuff in the second one, where you you know you're this was you painting a a really beautiful picture of what the work that you're doing, um, what an important message that is. It's getting out there. That's fantastic. Uh, if you ever want to come back again, we'd love to have you. Would love to. Yeah, I feel like we only scratched the surface. I, exactly. We did. Yeah, exactly. We really did. Yeah. It, it's like the time flies by so fast. But it's weird, isn't it? Yeah. It always happens this way. Um, we always give people a chance to, I, I'm, I love that we give people a chance to identify their themselves or their project and say, you know, if people want to find you. But the truth is, everybody just Googles things if they want to find something. Yeah. So how specifically, how do, people find? how do they get you easily? Like, what's the quickest path to finding? Boardingschoolhealing.org. Okay. My, my name is listed there um, under the staff bios. And then if you want to Google me from there, I'm on, you know, I'm on social media. Are there, uh, and, and there'll be resources there through through your organization's website to find more information if they want to just poke around and find Absolutely. some Absolutely, yeah. You can follow us on social media as well. So I have my personal accounts don't you know, look there, if people. If you're really you know into it. me, <laughs> <laughs> don't say that. You, you you never know what happens. Oh man, yeah. Trust me. Um, yeah, if you're into weirdos, um, <laughs> right? There's me, and then um, and then there's our organization. Yeah, so follow. Yeah, follow us both. Okay. All right, sounds yeah. good. Well, thank Christine, you, Christine. Thanks for coming in. Thank you so much for having me, you guys. Yeah, yeah. Appreciate All right. It. All right. Bye, Bye everyone. Bye. Bye. All right, everyone, thanks for listening. We love comments and feedback, so go ahead and let us have it. If you'd like to learn more about Andalin and other legacy projects, visit the website at andalin.app or kineticlegacy.us. Take care. Mm-hmm.